Hi, it's Trek Tuesday, and welcome to another edition of Trek Chats number four. Features snippets of my Star Trek conversations throughout the years. And this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our help us explore our humanity. And starting us off is Star Trek Picard writer Mark Bernadine. I, I got to credit you for working on Star Trek Picard. Uh, I mean, I I just felt the whole uh, Star Trek series on on uh, Paramount Plus now has actually grown up a little. Even if you look at the old Next Generation episodes, it was like they were still evolving. But Picard seemed like more of an adult show, really, again, tackling some themes kind of up the level. So, you know, what was your what was your feeling working on that series? Um, I mean, Star Trek, it's it's relatively unique in legacy media. And by that, of course, I mean stuff that's been around for like 30, 40, 50 years in that it goes through these phases of, you know, popularity and omnipresence. And then these fallow periods where the, the ground kind of gets to renew itself a bit. And so, you know, The Next Generation was itself a show that had been learning from from the classic series and from the animated series and from the movies. Um, but even from the beginning of Next Generation to the end of Next Generation, it had evolved and matured and become its own thing and, and had found a way to be less hidebound by sort of classic dogma and, and embrace what it was supposed to be. Um, and I think Star Trek always kind of does that. And the fact that Star Trek gets to show up every 10 or 15 years um, in, in a new guise that remembers exactly what it used to be you know, is uh, it allows it to evolve and mature and metastasize into ways that are that are new and invigorating. And even, you know, Picard and Discovery and, and you know, Strange New Worlds, these shows will find their footing. Like they will start in one way and they will deepen and mature and evolve and the storytellers will figure out what the rhythms make the most sense for them and the strength of the, of the actors who are playing the roles and how these characters can can uh, sort of twist into new pretzel shapes. And so working on Picard was both this, this weird echoing, um, you know, reverberance from my childhood growing up watching Next Generation. And then the, the joy of getting to imagine those stories going forward. You know, like what happens to this character? What happens to that character? How do they, how does their past inform their present dictate their future? And how do you, how do you draw those arcs that connect and make sense to somebody like me who's watched them from the very beginning? So yeah, it's, it, was, it was a fantastic experience um, getting to work on the, on the second season and getting to help be part of telling that ongoing story. You know, that's the, that's the, the nerd dream is to get to be the slightest part of the things you grew up loving. And so, you know, to get to put one note on the staff of, uh, of that song was, uh, was pretty great. What's it like working in kind of a universe where the, we know the characters and there's certain things you can do and certain things you can't do because the character, we've seen him on the screen a long, long time. It is a bit like, you know, playing with somebody else's toys, <laughs> you know, where like you, you go to the sandbox and there's a whole mess of toys in the sandbox and you can kind of pick them up and you can do kind of cool stuff with them. And then after a while, like you realize that you're never going to change these toys. They're always kind of going to be what they are, you know, unless the 
the family who owns the toys decides like, yeah, man, you can rip that leg off. That might be kind of cool. But otherwise, you pick them up, you have adventures, and you put them back so that the next person can pick them up and play again. There's a freedom in that, um, which is different from the freedom of making your own stuff up and getting to dictate all of the, the, the adventures and how the toys look. But the freedom of, here's the cool thing that I can try and do cool things with. You know, and that's, that's kind of fun because you need, there have to be some constraints. You know, I think the, uh, there's some Orson Welles quote that goes something like, the enemy of art is the absence of limitations. And so, you know, the limitations placed upon you by working with somebody else's toys um, can still yield really fun stuff. More Trek chats on Trek Tuesday, so stay tuned. Terry Metalis talks about Star Trek Picard season three. I would say looking at some of the criticisms across the board, I, I would say it's, it's, it's a decisively unromantic season. Um, there is, there was no real room for romance, whether that is uh, Picard and Crusher, Seven and Rafi, um, Jack and Sydney had a moment of flirtation. Even Riker and Troy mostly deals with the tragedy of a couple losing a child. I wish I had fought for more time for a few extra scenes with those characters. I think that the fans would have all wanted more romance throughout. We stuck with the high stakes of it all. It felt like that was where we needed to stay. Um, there wasn't really a lot of time to talk about feelings and, and for people to kiss. In retrospect, I think that would have been satisfying to fans, but that's why we asked for more Star Trek, you know, that those characters aren't going away. Um, and we certainly leave all those characters in a place where we can do that. Um, so that that's probably my biggest regret. Uh, my other one would be there were characters I really wanted to see again. Um, in the original finale script, it was like, look, it was a giant movie that we were we had we're building building on television time schedule, right? We, the fact that we you saw what we saw was miraculous that we pulled it off, like it nearly killed us all. Um, but there was a scene with Soji and Data that we could not afford we could not afford to do and bring back another actor. Uh, Ro, there was a scene in which they found Rolaren in the dungeons of the Intrepid with uh, Tuvok um, and that she had survived. We weren't able to pull off. Uh, there was a, a Harry Kim had appeared at one point. Uh, we really wanted to bring back, uh, we wanted Kate Mulgrew to be part of Seven of Nine's promotion. These are all things that they're all in the first script. And then your line producer says, <laughs> if you can't afford these things, you are not Avengers Endgame. Um, so they got to go away. Um, and um, uh, so those are those are our regrets. But I'm very happy with what we are. We were able to pull off. D. Bradley Baker unvoicing Murph on Star Trek Prodigy. Now on Netflix. As far as Murph, what was the process in coming up with? Well, I guess speech. <laughs> Well, the important thing with a creature that is nonverbal is to um, understand its place in the story. And you, you got to understand what its role is and who it relates to. And, and, and that, that basic, the dynamic of that, just in, in terms of the acting of, of, the, of the group. And then uh, it, it goes into 
what's playing out in the scene and what needs to what needs to result uh, from from the creature's interactions with uh, with the crew or the person. And oftentimes the creature is either an adversary or it's a, a familiar or a pet. And that uh, that uh, calls for very specific intent and and performance uh, as specific as any uh, spoken word. And so what I do is I, I go from the rendering that they show me of the creature and then look at the script and see what does this creature need to feel like? What does it who does it need to be? And then it's just the specifics of following it through with our directors and um, delivering a performance that the animators can animate to. Or in, in some cases, if you're in post-production and they've already if they've already animated it, then something that matches the, the tone and the intent of all that's going on around the creature. So as so as to add, but not to distract or overpower anything that's the, of the of the important parts of the story that are playing out. Paul Wesley and Ethan Peck on getting tattoos about their fan name, Spurk, and much more. Should we get Spurk tattoos? That's a great idea. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> well, we we actually got to know each other offset mostly before we before getting to know each other on camera as these characters, which was really fun because um, I find Paul so easy to get along with and was always very excited to see him. And then to have that sort of that foundational relationship, which I think really supports these this strange interaction between these two very different characters um, that we get to see a little bit of in uh, in season two, and so I think it really added a lot of nuance to that moment when uh, the momentous moment that these two characters meet. I do think one's relationship with another actor off screen or your general chemistry it does actually translate onto the screen. Um, I'm, I'm of that belief. So we, we do get on quite well, Ethan and I, and uh, as, as Spock and, 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 and Kirk obviously have this very deep friendship. Again, you know, this is all nascent. Like it's, you know, we, we haven't figured this out. The, the characters don't know how important their relationship is, which is, which is fun because they're sort of um, subconsciously, I think, drawn to one another but they don't really know why. What we saw from Spock in season two. Here's Ethan Peck. Uh, we will see Spock further explore his, his human side. And he does this in various situations and relationships as well. Uh, I think it's very apparent in his interactions with Nurse Chapel. Yeah, there's a, a, a really wonderful situation where Spock can do nothing but face his, his humanness that I'm very excited about. Kirk and Uhura connect. You know, she's, Sally uh, is a, um, Sally is a really wonderful actor. Very, uh, very rich in terms of just her emotions or, or she's so, are so easily accessible for her. She's, um, she's a stage actress. She really uh, has such a deep presence. Um, you know, I, again, you know, I think what makes Spock and Kirk fascinating is how different they are similarly he was able to sort of be there for her and fulfill some sort of need that she she needed she needed to fulfill something and she needed to sort of figure things out about her own self and her character's evolution and kirk was able to be there for her and, and be a part of um that journey you try not to think too much about how big of a deal it is 
for these two characters to meet. Um, similar with 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 my relationship with with uh, Spock and when they they first meet. And so you, know, you just you know you have to keep reminding yourself that these characters don't know how important this is, <laughs> that they're just characters. Um, and, and I'm still new to that because I, you know, I'm still figuring out this role. And so I, 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 you know, going in, I need to calm myself down and not make a big meal out of everything and just sort of play it honestly. Look for Star Trek in all series, except Prodigy, which is on Netflix. The remaining series are on Paramount Plus. Sci-Fi Talk Plus is a great podcasting gift, not only for yourself, but also your friends and family. Over 900 episodes, commercial-free, uncut, and even special programs, like a special uncut program on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. The best part about it, it's free. Click on the link in the show notes for free lifetime access. This is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.